Good evening. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's Monday, February 27, 7 15 p.m. in the evening, and we are happy to have all the listeners here on our uh, show, and especially want to thank the Apple Corporation for sponsoring the event and invite all of you to tell your colleagues to sign up. Uh, you can come online and sign up and get the podcast every week, even though you're not listening and you can uh, listen to it anytime you want. Um, we've uh, been, uh, in- it's been an interesting weekend in Indiana because uh, Purdue played IU in basketball for the listeners. And uh, of course, IU beat Purdue at Lafayette, which is a big deal. So we're still celebrating that. And uh, we're also in the midst of the high school basketball tournament. So uh, lots of things going on in, in the basketball front uh, in the state of Indiana. So if you ever come to Indiana, that's one thing you would want to check out. Um, today we have a very special guest. Uh, she comes to us uh, from uh, Cathedral High School here in Indianapolis, Indiana. The cathedral is one of the great uh, preparatory schools in the United States. Uh, and uh, Kathy uh, teaches uh, Spanish and French, and she's a French teacher too, so uh, of, of much renown, and she's very well known uh, in, in Indiana, and uh, we're happy that she's on our show. How are you, Kathy? I'm doing great. All right. So are you ready to go to spend the show and everything? We, it, It's pretty much uh, question-answer stuff, right? So uh, we'll talk quickly a little bit about you uh, in a moment about where you're from. Um, where are you from? Are you from Indiana originally? You are, correct? Uh, no, actually, uh, oh. I spent most of my elementary and middle school years in Michigan. So I grew Ooh. up in Michigan. What part of Michigan? Um, so Brighton for the first part of my life, and then um, which is kind of near Lansing, and then a little town called Fowlerville. Um, Kind of mm-hmm. a little farmer town for my middle school years. And okay. then that's my mom's family is from Michigan. And so that, and we moved to Indiana to start my high school years, and my dad's from Indiana. So okay. I was in Vincennes, Indiana, in my high school years and my college years. Okay. Until I moved out. <laughs> now, that's interesting because um, um, my wife is from Michigan. She's from yeah. Detroit, and she went to Albion College up in Michigan. Um, so how did you get in Indiana then? You came to school here, right? Obviously. And at IU. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, like I said, um, we moved when I was just starting out as a freshman in high school to Vincennes, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then my first two years were spent, of college were spent in Vincennes University. And from there I transferred to IU. Okay. And you studied what, Spanish linguistics or Spanish? I can't remember. So I double majored in French and Spanish and minored in linguistics. Okay, I gotcha. So uh, that took you a while, right, to double major. It must have taken a year longer, right, or two, a year or two? Well, yeah, it took, it took a while for a couple of reasons. Um, because for, at first I was just double majoring and, and minoring, and then um, a lot of there were quite a few times that I had to stop, you know, school, work for a while so I could make money to go back to school. Um, and in some of those instances, I substitute taught for the schools in Vincennes and realized that I kind of liked that. So when I came back, I went to get my education degree as well through IU. Um, and so, yeah, it took a lot longer than... I had anticipated. And then you got your master's degree at, at Wesleyan, right? Master's in education. Indiana Wesleyan, okay. Now, so are you, uh, your, is your family then, they're from Michigan originally? My mom's side of the family is. Okay. Um, she had met my dad when he was in college in Detroit. Um, but his side of the family is all in southern Indiana. Yeah, now can you tell us about your family a little bit? I mean, your, your, your family, yeah, the, here in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Oh, my husband and my children? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, yes. so my, my husband is actually also from Vincennes, Indiana. We met in high school. We were high school sweethearts. 
and we have been married 35 years now. <laughs> um, and my children, my oldest one is um, out in Washington, D.C. He graduated from Notre Dame University in 2021 and got his first job out in D.C. working for an architecture firm. Wow. Um, yeah, and my second child uh, is a junior at Oberlin University. Um, she is currently studying for the semester in Bath, England. Wow, that's in Ohio, right? Yes, Oberlin is in Ohio. Uh -huh. And then my third child is a junior in high school with me at Cathedral. And you're going on a trip with her, right, in a couple of weeks? Can you tell yeah. the listeners about that trip and why you're going? So um, the band at Cathedral always takes a huge trip, like once every four years. Um, and I haven't gone on any of the trips with my other two children. I always said, you know, I need to make sure that they get to go and they have the money to go. So I always said that with my last child, and my last child is now there, um, that I would go and I would chaperone the trip. So I'm going to Ireland with her and I'm chaperoning. Um, we each have eight students to watch and I think it's going to be fun. Oh, and I know a lot of the students in the band anyway, since I teach them. So That'd be great fun. That'd be awesome. Wow. And uh, so how long have you been at Cathedral now? You've been there a while, correct? Yeah, I started when my youngest was an infant, so she just turned 17. Mm -hmm. 17 so, years, wow. And so prior to that, then how many years did you teach? You taught, where did you teach prior to that? Bloomington? Yes, I taught, I, actually, let's see, where did I start? I started my first teaching job, um, full-time teaching job, that is, because I did some little things before that in Vincennes, but... Uh, my first full-time teaching job was in Lafayette, Indiana for Central Catholic. Um, and then from there, I went to Lowell High School. Um, and about the time that after I put in two years at Lowell, and it was a great, great school, by, by the way, um, my mom got sick with Parkinson's, so I got a job in Bloomington um, at Bloomington High School South because it was a little less of a drive to go see my mom down in Vincennes when she needed me. And then I, I have taught at both Bloomington High School South and Bloomington High School North. Okay. And then from there to Cathedral. Okay. Um, so you have a wealth of experience, right? At all levels in French and Spanish, right? I think you told Correct. me you've taught about every level in Spanish and French both, right? Now... Yes. Why did you pick those two languages to study? I mean, that must have been, I mean, that was quite a decision to do both of them. That was pretty difficult, right? Well, okay. Let me start from the beginning, and it won't be long, I promise. Um, my dad was a teacher. He was a grade school teacher, and he had all these books in the house. And, and you know, I, I would just, you know, I would pull a book from the shelf. He even had a set of you know, when people used to have a set of hard copy encyclopedias, my dad had a full set. And so I would just look up different countries and he had, you know, books for like fourth graders and fifth graders, like social studies books, and it had pictures. And he had this one book, it was called Children of the World. And I was fascinated by it because it talked about the cultures they came from and things like that. And so I always knew that I want from a young age that I wanted to go visit these places. Um, and when I was growing up, uh, languages were not offered in middle school or before high school, so I had to wait to high, till high school to be able to take a language. But the first language I took as a freshman was French, and then in between my French uh, and or in between my freshman and sophomore year, um, our French club offered a scholarship to go to a language camp at um, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and I won that by writing an essay. So I went for a week to this camp and I was just amazed at the beautifulness of, you know, the culture because we did all kinds of things. We spoke, we sit bang, we danced, we made food from the different cultures. And there was all kinds of uh, students from, you know, taking French and German and Spanish um, who were all at the camp. So I fell in love with 
how beautiful the language of Spanish was. So when I came back as a sophomore, I started Spanish too, as well, I mean. And right. so I had four years of French in high school and three years of Spanish, and I've never stopped since. Yeah, with both of that's those. amazing. Now, were you able to travel? Um, were you able to travel while you were in high school or college to Spain or France or Mexico or somewhere? In high school, though, my parents, you know, we couldn't afford it. There were five kids. So, um, but once I got to college, I took advantage of some of the travel programs and I went to France twice. Um, and I was able, while I was in France, to take a year world pass and go to Spain um, and a lot of other places, a lot of other countries. Um, and then I went to Mexico as an adult. So I didn't get to go to Mexico until. Mm -hmm. I was an adult, but okay. well, Spain and Mexico as my Spanish-speaking countries. Okay. Now, did you, um, back to the um, Cathedral High School, uh, can you tell the listeners uh, what a nice school that is, uh, really a great school, and uh, uh, the reputation it has uh, academically and athletically both, right? So uh, can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Um, well, we consistently win um, state championships in, I mean, not every year, but a lot, um, in both football and volleyball, um, and we get pretty high up in basketball as well. We also offer um, lacrosse and golf and swimming and a lot of other sports, um, and we are... Um, a rigorous academic program. Um, right now, uh, in the last few years, they have focused a little bit more on STEM, um, but we have been an IP, IB school and an AP school and a dual credit school. Um, and it's a beautiful place. The campus has, you know, three buildings and newly renovated. It is um, lovely. It's a beautiful campus. It really is. Yeah. And it's a very spiritual place as well, which is the draw for me. Yes, yes, it is. Now, do you, um, uh, as far as um, the classes that you teach at Cathedral, how many do you have a day? Five or six? Six probably, right? Okay, so a full schedule is considered five classes um, and two preps and a, like a study hall. So that's pretty so nice. Six, but we're on a rotation schedule. So you might not see five, you're all five of your classes every day. Okay. Um, typically, I run about six, and I have in some, in some cases seven. The kids take eight courses. It's, it's, not, so the, it's not the block schedule, though, right? No, no. it's just it changes. We're on a, a four-day rotation schedule. Yeah. yeah. So. So. Um, so the um, language learning, et cetera, I know you've done a lot of stuff. Uh, you get an incredible amount of things you've done over the years. And uh, I remember uh, uh, that you helped me do some uh, projects in French, and we put in French from Spanish. Uh, that's been a while back. It's been a lot of years ago. Uh, yeah. And uh, there was Capi Captain Verbal, Capitan Verbal, and... Uh, Doctor Conversacion, and we did those in French. And uh, Juegos de, de Composition, no, Juegos de Conversacion, or something like that. Juegos Comunicativos, that was it. Yeah. and But we did them in French. Yeah. And you, you did them in French. I didn't do them, you did them in French. But uh, it was a fascinating time. Uh, and you and sharing with the listeners where you're a very very uh, gifted writer as well and uh, but uh, over the years um, you have been in a lot of things in world languages and uh, a lot of organizations and a lot of work and time and effort and things and uh, why do you do that I'm just curious why do you do that um okay well you don't learn everything you need to learn about teaching in the school of education. <laughs> and I mean, and that is the thing that I would tell any new teacher is like, okay, your learning has only just begun when you, when you get your first job. And for me, that meant get involved, you know, be there when new, you know, 
best practices are coming out and when decisions are being made, be, you know, with the people that are helping to make those decisions and be with the people that are, you know, talking about what's coming down the pike. Um, and also attend as many professional development and conferences as you can because the network you create and the people that you learn from and all the new, you know, the methods that they use that work for them, you know, you're going to pick up so much from others, from your colleagues. Uh, I mean, and, and it's like I said to you before, it's like, you know, to win an award is really not, it's not the award for that one person. Because for me, everything I do came from ideas from other people. Yes. So it's yes. really all of us that are winning. Sharing, the yeah, sharing. That's, that's true, totally true. Uh, well said. Now, um, so back to this, um, um, this, this idea of um, participation in the organizations. What is it that um, uh, that we need young teachers to do to get them involved more in these organizations? Um, do you think there's things we could do to get more people involved, the younger teachers, or no? See, that is something we struggle with every year. It's like how to get fresh, you know, perspectives, how to get new young people that have just, you know, graduated or just become right. new teachers, how to get them involved. Because I don't think they realize how valuable their input is. And at, by the same token, they'll be, you know, obviously it's a sharing community, but they'll be making connections with the more experienced teachers and maybe they'll gain some perspective from the mature and more experienced teachers as well. But it's really, it, you, you're only helping yourself and you're growing when you get involved and you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on state-wise and national-wise as far as languages and language education when you get involved. And, you know, I just, um, how to get that message across to, to the younger generation, I'm not sure we're, you know, we've tried a lot of things. Do you, think, do you think that the young teachers perhaps, um, or do you think there is, is giving of their time as we were in our days, you know, where do they give more of their time or is, is it an issue of time for them or what? I was just curious. No, I can't speak for the younger generation, but I would say it's probably more, um, nervousness, you know, like, cause when I was green behind the ears, you know, I, I'm a little bit different because I just jump in there and start, but it was a little nerve wracking to be among people like Tom Elsa oh. and Alan Garfinkel and Lorraine Strassheim, oh, and, you know, yes. all of the big names that we've always heard and we've admired as our mentors. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of a little intimidating. So, I mean, we just maybe need to have a, a round table and, and invite them to it and say, you know, we're, we're just people. Yeah, and, and I, people. I like that idea. That's a great idea. And uh, that's a great, terrific idea. And not only that, but uh, it would be a chance to communicate with them, right, to the, with the young folks. Uh, sometimes I think today, even though we have all the tech stuff, sometimes I'm not sure we really communicate though as good as we used to, you know. I mean, we used to talk, we would call people on the phone, you know, we would talk to people on the phone. Uh, we would actually see people live, right? Instead of like Zooming, right? You know, the Zoom stuff and all the stuff we do. And, and But after a while, you think uh, there was something special about taking time, right? To drive to the place where you met, you know, and you sit down at the round table and talk to people, share your ideas, you know, and... Uh, but in a human live situation, you know? And uh, even though uh, Zoom's wonderful, there's no doubt, but there, there's things that are, you know, live. I, I don't know if you can really be being live, right? Being there, doing, seeing the people, right? Same way at conferences, right? One of the beauty of conferences is seeing the people live, seeing your colleagues, sharing ideas, chatting, talking. And I always found that was one of the biggest things I got out of the conferences. As you said, there's talking to other people and seeing what was going on in the profession, et cetera. And, uh, um, but I think we're getting back to that, don't you, a little bit? 
I think we're going getting back to it little by little, you know, that we're... Yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah. I mean, after, after COVID, with all of those online conferences and everything, I think a lot of teachers got burned out. Oh, boy, that was... Bur- it was burnout time, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, not yes. just from the online stuff, but from online professional development. Yes. It's like, I did everything, you know, I could to keep up, but now I'm just like, now... That People send me stuff like, oh, there's this new online conference coming. I'm like, no, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go to a place. I want to be yes, there. Yes, it makes all the difference being there. Now, let's talk a minute about France and Spain. Which country do you like the best? Probably what, Spain? No, France. I am not going to make a decision. <laughs> you like them both, right? They're both yes. equal, yeah. Yes. I have so much more discovering to do. I mean, I've, I have visited other countries. Um, let's see, Austria, Switzerland, uh-huh. Germany, Belgium, Luxembourg, a lot of countries in Europe. I also went to Cameroon, Africa for six weeks with a, a group full, a full boy, bright grant, grant from IU. Uh-huh. No. Ireland, of course, but I have so many more discoveries to make. And, um, you know, I'm... A little aged <laughs> right now, but hopefully when my kids get through school, I'll be able to start traveling. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, and you certainly will deserve that. Now, so let's talk about Kristen Hoyt, because you did a lot of stuff with Kristen. For the listeners, mm-hmm. if you didn't know Kristen Hoyt, she was quite a lady. She was, uh, she was uh, a great French teacher, uh, number one, and then she became the coordinator of uh, world languages after... I think it was Walter Bartz retired, and she yes. took his place. And then she, she left that position. She taught French down in Georgia, the small college, I think, wasn't in Georgia? I believe yeah, it, it was. was. And uh, and I think since then has retired, right? I believe. I think she retired. So I think she did, yeah. Yeah. and uh, But she was a great leader in, in world language study and uh, just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful leader. And... Uh, but you work with her a lot in the, in a different program, right? Or no, she was there when she did this, wasn't she? The director at that time. And, yes. And can you tell the listeners what you did? That was very interesting. Well, um, I met her for the first time when we were working on Indiana proficiency guidelines for the standards um, with Walter Bartz. But then after she became the director after Walter Bartz. Um, I worked on her first, just for a summer, um, and what we did was we kind of um, analyzed um, different curriculum, and we analyzed what the current proficiency slash standards were, and we looked at um, course descriptions um, that different schools had, and we kind of made some uh, suggestions to the schools in writing, you know, like we, we had to look at all of those for all these schools in Indiana, and we made some suggestions on how they could make their uh, course description even better, and, and then we did some initial um, initial look at the indicators for the proficiency guidelines at this time in preparedness for creating standards. And then and the second time I worked with her, uh, it was like six weeks um, it was kind of during my maternity leave, <laughs> so um, I worked with her on gap analysis to see if all the standards kind of lined up and if there was anything missing in the world language standards in order to create the new standards. So we did a lot of standards work. You did together. great work with her. I remember that, and thank you so much for all you did. That was a lot of work. And you, you guys did a great job on that. I remember that. Uh, but um, let's talk about course, courses that you teach. What's your favorite course? Do you prefer the beginning classes, the intermediate classes, or the advanced classes? You know, I mean, that varies from day to day. I would say that the spot that they have had me in at Cathedral, for the most part, are second and third year. I've had some fourth year and fifth year to be sure, um, and I've had some first year and second I love getting them fresh in first year, but I do love the sweet spot of the third year as well because, you know, they've got a little background and we can do a lot more with it, especially if you're teaching IB, 
right? Because then you can bring in those themes and you can do so much with it. Um, I, I have to tell you, you know, what it's been, it's the third year of our Heritage Spanish program. And I am really loving that. Um, you know, it, I kind of created that. <laughs> so. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. So it's going gung-ho. Good. <laughs> now, do, do you have all Spanish now or any French now? So this year is the first year, besides the first year that I worked at Cathedral, I had all Spanish, and then I went to Spanish and French. Um, and this year is the first year in all these 17 years that I have had just all Spanish again, um, just because the numbers in French tend to fluctuate. Okay. But Gary and I have discussed it, and we're you know we're doing things to build up those French numbers. Yeah, you're very you're very fortunate to have him. You know, as the chairman there, he's just a magnificent leader and person, and you know, just a great great leader. And uh, yes. um, so, can we talk a little bit then about the um, um, why do you think it's important to study a world language today? What's your big things that you would throw out about, man, we need to study world languages because I'll bring this up today. I saw this, I think it was in the New York Times this morning, and it was an article about um, uh, really quite a, a, a renowned college on the East Coast, a small college, and maybe, maybe it was Marymount, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's for sure, listeners, but I think it was, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one. But anyway, they were dropping English from their curriculum. This oh. English language study. Yeah, English. And they, I didn't see them dropping world languages though, but they were dropping English. And then there was a couple, there were a couple other things they're dropping. Under the, uh, you know, the stress of the money and the small colleges, I guess, are really struggling, you know, you know, because they don't have enough money. And, uh, you know, the people are going to the bigger, the state universities because they're cheaper. And so the small colleges are struggling all over across the United States. And, uh, but I thought it was interesting that that, uh, that was uh, brought up about that. So um, um, the, um, this uh, studying a language, you, you know, about it's important, right? But do you think there's some huge thing that one thing that you would say, though, that's the top thing why you should study it? Um, a lot of people think that, that, you know, the most important thing about studying the language is so that you can operate in a different culture and that, you know, and then a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are thinking, okay, well, the world is much more global and at my fingertips now because of the internet and such. So why would I need to study the language? I could even press a translator for me when I'm over there. But what they don't realize is, and I don't have all the specifics, like I don't have the tech, technical words for all of this, but um, there's a lot of research out there that says knowing two languages really amps up the efficiency of your brain, you know, and um, and it's not like you, you switch from one language and then turn it off and switch to another. You're actually multitasking with both or all, all three or however yes, many languages yes, you learn. That's that's a, yes, and I would point. say to any yeah. parent that you want your kids to study another language while working with yes. their first because it's going to lead to greater efficiency of how their brain works in all, all the other subjects as well. In addition to all the wonderful things that they, you know, the, the satisfaction that they get right. from just being able to converse, you know. Yeah, and uh, beginning teachers, if you're listening to the show, some of you, uh, you're getting some great ideas here and I hope you jot them down and and you know, remember some of them, but uh, Kathy's really throwing some great ideas out here about language, why study a language. Um, so if we study, if we, I always felt too, I don't know how you feel about this, I always felt like that one of the big things about studying language was when you went to the country, how appreciative the people are that you took time to learn their language, right? And Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It, and I always think, I always felt like that was one reason, as you said, forget about uh, the translators, the Google Translate and all that business. And then they're very good, etc. But forget about that and just think if you could speak it without using that, right? 
or get, mm-hmm. su- survive without pulling out their translator to a, a real alive human being in the street, right? Or people that you run into and maybe become friends with. What an impact that has on people, right? Um, it's a very different experience. And yeah. I, I wonder how we would be in the United States if we saw uh, exchange students coming over and all they did was be able to, they just would pull their translator out all the time and talk. So I, I'm just saying, but that, you know, they, they I'm sure that they're, they're a little, they may be more into this than we are, you know, about that factor, you know, of, of really communicating with the, the native people that way. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, your all-time favorite French or Spanish student. Do you have an all-time favorite student? <laughs> Um, again, you're going to find out that I don't make decisions like this. <laughs> all right. It's like asking me if I have a favorite child. Yes, They're all yes. so different. They have great parts about them. They have strengths. They're in but different ways. Like, like we could talk about my favorite risk taker student, my favorite inquisitor student, my favorite deep thinking student, my favorite. I mean, they're all so different. I don't have a favorite. I love seeing how their brains work. I love the light that comes on in their eyes when they can do something. Yes. It just, it's, you know, I love teaching. <laughs> so. Yes, it makes all the difference, right? And, and, and we're very fortunate that you're teaching because you definitely love the languages and, and that's incredibly important. And, um, uh, and I bet too, I could say, I bet you do this because it's fun, right? Teaching, oh, right? Yeah. It's not really yeah. like a job, is it? It's just fun, right? Yeah. Oh, there are days. <laughs> there are days, but most of the time you do it for the fun, right? Yeah, I think right. it's just fun to be with the kids and teach. Now, so if you, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the um, techniques for teaching world languages. So we got, the, now we're on the comprehensible input thing the last couple of years. We're in comprehensible input and readers, right? TPRS in readers, right? Now, some people don't remember this. You probably do. But we actually did do uh, um, foreign language immersion classes, we used to call them. When every total, total immersion was what we called it. And we did do total immersion. And we did use readers in the day. And uh, it's some people today, I don't think they realize that we actually did the same, you know, pretty much the same things. It's evolved a little, but it, it is what it is, right? So, um, what what about your favorite methods today? Are you into the all readers type thing? Are you into a mix, or what do you do? <laughs> Again, I'm not. I can't make decisions. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, me. basically, what do you think the best? You're in your opinion. What's the best? I don't have a best. I use a little bit of everything. Okay, so it's pragmatic, right? Practical, <laughs> practical, right? That's yeah. beautiful because I always use that. I've always, my whole life, have used pragmatic stuff, and I never, I always felt like there's no one way to teach a language, right? And it, it depends it, on your audience. It you know? does. You got it depends on the audience, it. and it depends on the teacher. And number mm-hmm. number number three is. Uh, it has to be fun, right, for the teacher. You know, you, yeah. d- you don't want to have to go to a school where you're working and they impose this method and say, you have to do this, right? And the teacher right. goes, ooh, I don't think I want to do that, right? And uh, so yeah, I, I think we have to be very careful and delicate about methods, you know, strategies, mm-hmm. because uh, some people say, I, there's only one way to do this, there's one way to do this. And, but as you said, I think we have to be careful of not getting out on the limb here and, 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 and saying, you know, I, this is the only way you can do it. And uh, I think, as you said, a pragmatic way is the, the way to do it. And I think that's how you survived all these years teaching. You're a very pragmatic teacher. And, uh, and I'd say the same for myself, you know, that all the years I taught. That, you know, it, it really, you, you have to think about down the road, et cetera, and what really works, right? What really works. Uh, I question sometimes, and, and I, 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 I love readers, and I like comprehensive input uh, and things, but uh, I, I also think that we can't just do one thing, right? That language is very complicated, learning a language, and it's, it's, 
it involves much more than just, you know, looking at the reader and reading a book, you know, and it involves, you know, you have to figure out how the language works, how you can use it, and how you can manipulate language and how you use the grammar, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all a big process, you know, that takes a long time, right? And uh, yes. years, and we already know that. And, you know, we look at the ACPEL standards, how long it takes for somebody to get to intermediate, you know, on the thing. It takes a long time. And, uh, you know, so we can't just uh, assume that, uh, you know, if we're just doing these things and, all the time, all the time, and not doing other things, right? And, and like you said, it's kind of a, um, uh, like a kaleidoscope, right, of stuff, you know? You want to have a little bit of everything. And uh, um, I'm going to mention that book a little bit, just for a second, about that book Deb and I are doing, The, the Sparking Creativity in a World Language Classroom. It's a, 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 a book that I did with Deb Blaze, and... Uh, French teacher, and it's about uh, creativity. But one of the things we found was that as you look at things, everything works, though. Everything, you know, there are some beautiful methods over the years. You know, you can go back, you know, a long, long time, you know, to, to how it used to be and how it was all a grammar translation, right? And just right. that was all it was, and it became communicated, right? And then on and on, and so... You know, we and the total immersion, and then the comprehensive plan, but the reading, but all of this is good. But it's like you have to look back and use everything, right? You can still do that, right? Yeah, if we you take time, you know, we talk about playing games in the classroom. You know, you still play games. You can you can still do skits. You can still have little quizzes, oral quizzes, and things. So what I'm saying is, we can't get mired down too much, right? Where we forget about. The, the other things that are really essential as well, you know, to, to this idea of teaching. And you say it from many years experience, and you said it about pragma, pragma, pragmatism, and I say the same thing. I think that, that that's the way you have to do it. That there is, you can't get out and just preach this is the only way to do it, right? right I mean, right. You, you can't say that. I mean, you I mean, could. How boring but, would that be if there was just one way? Yes, exactly, yes. You know, I mean, not just... For the teacher, but for the student, because you know, yeah. the students are all different. They all need different things. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, creativity, because I love talking about creativity. And for me, that's everything, right? You know, I mean, I think that if we can't be creative, you know, that, 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 that you have to learn how to do it, you know, and which is one of the reasons we did that book, uh, because... Uh, uh, you know, it, it does help you, uh, uh, you know, you can learn how to be creative a little bit. You know, if you start thinking, and you, and you mentioned a word a while ago that's key to creativity, risk-taking. And I'm glad you brought that up a while ago, risk-taking, because risk-taking is magnificently creative, right? I mean, it leads you into creativity. If you take a risk and you get into the unknown stuff, you're going to risk and you're going to be creative, right? It, it inevitably ends in a beautiful, creative thing uh, if you do that. Um, and so, uh, so, but for you, what, did, what do you think creativity is? What does it mean for you, more or less? Creativity. Well, I mean, use your imagination. Come up with an original idea in your imagination and maybe some not-so-original ideas, bits and pieces from ideas others have given you and create something new with it, right? And that could be an object like art or it could just be a tool or a strategy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Something abstract. Yes, exactly. Um, now, do you think you're more creative now than you were when you first started teaching? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I have more tools in my toolbox, you know? Yes, you got more tools, yeah. I do. You know, I've got more experience to draw on, um, and I know quickly when something's not working, I know quickly how to how to change it up right there in the classroom. When it's not working, I change it up to something else. I mean, I do that a lot. If I see, you know, the students aren't engaged for whatever reason, okay, this isn't working, let's do something else, and I've got that. That's mm -hmm. there. But I've gone through tons of professional development and conferences, and trainings. And that's why it's important to go, right, to all these things. 
Because you learn creativity by being around creative people, right? And you're always going to, many of those people are very creative people, you know, so it's really, really good to be there. Um, So what about world languages today? Uh, um, Where do we stand in world language study? Do you think we need to push it more or do you think it's okay the way it is? Yeah, it's kind of like I said before, I think people are kind of taking it for granted because they have those online translators. Um, Maybe the way to push it more is to take away the online translators and stick them into the culture for a week and see if they can, how much satisfaction they feel when they can actually converse with somebody. Because, I mean, it's more, it's so much more than just being able to communicate word for word you know i mean yes yeah it is it's a it's a whole process right and it takes years it's a long process it's really it's a lifelong process really i mean i think if if you're not a native speaker and uh, you learn language and you want to get decent and good at it it takes your whole lifetime you know to practice and, and and things it's not easy uh, but it's worth it. It's certainly worth it. Now, sure. um, what about the good and what can be improved in the world language field at the moment? What's really good and what, you, what do you think we need to improve? What can we improve? Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, it's just what you and I were saying. Like, we've got to stop, you know, fighting each other saying that one way is better than the other. We have to start helping each other to see that, you know, a little bit of everything. All these strategies have value. All methods have value. All the philosophies have value. When we put them, you know, we need people to see that. I mean, I guess that's what could make it better right now because there's so many people. Yeah, maybe maybe more teamwork, right? Teamwork. And collaboration. Yeah, teamwork. collaboration, teamwork, especially not not so much just in the with your colleagues teaching, but even the classroom, right? To, yeah. You know, using team teaching, you know, within the classroom. I'm talking about, you know, you teach class and the uh, German teacher goes comes in with none of that. Uh, but I'm talking about, you know, where you'd have teams, competition, right? And things mm-hmm. and where you have game things going all the time. I think that's another great thing yeah, that we need is more... You know, teaching the kids how to how to work together in the classroom in teams, right? Because yeah, it's... well, actually, recently I pulled in our ASL teacher to my heritage class to talk about translation and interpretation and the different ways of doing that. Um, and they were really interested, and she was very, you know, happy to do it. And yeah, so that's a collaboration between teachers. But like, I had I had a student recently that said. Hey, I'm kind of thinking about that now. You know, maybe yes, that's... yes. And then uh, the other thing is um, is the uh, getting back to this idea of uh, technology. So, mm-hmm. where are we headed with this technology? Do you think uh, it's important? Of course, and you know, there's so many beautiful things out there in the internet. We can. And there's ways we can the kids can connect with people in other countries and chat with them and all that. But it the thing that bothers me with all this is that we, we have to keep the live humanity part alive, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, how, how do we do that? How do we keep how do we keep that alive in the classroom, right? You know, where there's that student interaction, right? And they get yeah. to know each other and they communicate in the language. You know, the students face-to-face in the classroom, not somebody in a screen, right? And uh, the thing we, we always forget about, though, even the kids today when screen time and all this and the, the young kids, and you know this with your kids, you know, it's a battle, you know? How long do they get to work on those screens all day? And, I mean, be on their screens playing games, etc. And it's, it's a long time, right? I mean, it's a really long time. I asked, I asked the kids at Butler once, about a year ago at Butler, I said, how many hours are you guys on, the, on your screens all day? It was like eight hours, ten hours, you know. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, do, you ever, do they ever get to talk to each other other than maybe an hour a day? 
you know, are you, do, you know, actually communicating with human one-on-one -on -one communication? So uh, it's, it's an issue. I think it's an issue. I think administrators are somewhat, they're rather reluctant to, to, to say, oh, they, they'll say, I don't, it's good, it's great, you know, fine. But we don't ever look at the other side of the coin, right, sometimes. And I think we need to really be looking at the other side of the coin, you know, more than we've been doing in, uh, in education at all levels, you know, grade school, high school, middle school, college, and say, time out, right? Let's take time out here and let's try to, you know, still keep the human interaction going with each other, right, and, 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 and do those type things. Uh, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think yeah. uh, they're going to continue to come out with wonderful apps and wonderful yes. programs and things that are great, but everything in moderation, you know? Well, and you can't talk to an app, you know? I mean, it's not like talking to a real person, right? So even though the students, like let's say, sometimes you have some native students in the class and that helps your class, you know, they can practice with them. Uh, with a lot of natives in the class, if you get lucky, but uh, if not, but, but talking to a person is totally different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yes. totally different than just looking at the screen all the time. And uh, uh, I think that could be, end up being the challenge of our of a lifetime for the, for education in a way. And it, it, you know, we everybody we all got in the bandwagon. We love technology, and we still do, but. Uh, mm -hmm you know, where does it stop, right? I mean, are we going to say, you know, we're not letting any more in, you know, 20 minutes in the class, that's all you can do it, or 30 minutes, you know, that's it. And, uh, you know, or we only do it two days a week, you know, and then the rest of the time we have small group work, we have uh, team things, we have group dynamic stuff going on. And, uh, and I think it needs to be addressed, you know? Uh, and uh, if, if it isn't, I think we're, we're going to, it's not going to be the, the best we could have done, you know, perhaps. Um, so, um, now, what advice do you have for world language teachers today? Do you have any advice you would suggest, things they should do? Well, number one, like I said earlier in the broadcast, um, your learning has only just begun. So in order to keep it going and, and augmenting your learning and amping it up, go get involved in the organizations, go to the conferences, go to the professional development, network with your colleagues. Um, you know, there are people out there you can bounce ideas off of and they're gonna get some from you and you're gonna get some from them. them. So keep that up. Um, and then the other piece of advice would be just let your students see the joy that you have for teaching and the joy that you have for your topic, for your language. Yes, yes, beautifully said. Well said, that's magnificent. Yeah, uh, that was really, really magnificent what you said. I love that. Um, yeah, and that's something to remember for teachers, you know, the, any of you, or even the new, even people who haven't taught very long. Uh, great advice from a veteran teacher that that's something we should think about uh, and it's very important um, what about teaching culture why is that so important you can't separate culture from language <laughs> you have to I mean culture influences language and language influences culture yes yes even if it's just culture within the same country yes you know I mean, I've done a lot of um, graduate classes in linguistics and sociolinguistics, and, you know, it's very apparent that you can't have one without the other. So, yeah, it's extremely important. If you really want to be able to speak well, you have to know some of the culture. You have to know why those phrases came about. You have to know why you use them. You have to know that they differ from one country to the yes. other. <laughs> you know? What might be good in one country is maybe not so good in the other country. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it you have to have, there's no separating it. It's important. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about, you You, uh, you have the, the, the native speakers class, right, in Spanish? Yes. Now, is, uh, are there a lot, there's quite a few native speakers there, right? And, and now. Well, I'm going to, 
stuff your first minute, like native speakers are those who have um, learned in right. the country. Right. And heritage learners, they were born here, most of them. Not all of them, but they were born here, most of them. Right. The language at home. But they, right. when they come, when they do anything in public, it's all English. So those are who I have mostly. Right. Well, and that's good. All yeah. different levels of their in their abilities to be able to yes. speak. Um, and definitely, the language arts is what they really need from me. They need the literacy piece. They need the writing and the reading piece. Um, and because when you learn just through listening and speaking, then sometimes you're not picking up the pieces that we all naturally get in elementary school. Right. You know, in our own mother language. So yeah, this is this has been a really nice way to like move on to the second half of my career. Yeah. Okay. I'll be teaching that many more years. Um and yeah, it's it's really working well. I've learned so much because I've taken up obviously some professional development. Um, and it's just like the flip side of the coin for me as far as how different L2 learners are from heritage learners and what needs that they have that are different. And then they do overlap sometimes too. But Okay. So I have a question for you. How would you say a couple sentences or just a sentence in French and Spanish to our listeners? Uh, how would you say, I like the, uh, I like the apple? <laughs> Me gusta la manzana. And j'aime le pomme, la pomme. Okay. Muy bien, eh? How do you say it? Très tre, 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 tre bien? Très tre bien. Très bien. Très bien. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there you are with your listeners. Boy, you got a lot of language there tonight from somebody who's really a language, language learner and uh, loves languages. And Kathy, we want to thank you for being on the show. You've been a great guest, and uh, you just continue surprising me doing all these great things that you do, you know? And you do such wonderful things, and I, you know, it's been, uh, uh, I've been, it's been an honor to have you on the show, and a, and a pleasure and honor to, to have worked with you over the years in IFLTA, you know, we've been, we've been working there a long time, right? Me more than you, but, you know, longer than you. And not more than you, you do more than I do, but uh, longer. I mean, it's, uh, for me, I don't know how many years, uh, you know, I've been going to that conference a long, long time. And, uh, but it's fun. It's great fun. Um, but um, I appreciate you being on the show and uh, we'll uh, chat further, you know, and things just don't get off the, 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 the Zoom, right? Uh, we're in a Zoom meeting. I'm, I'm recording everything in the garage band. I always tell the listeners that. So I'm hoping that if somebody else wanted to do podcasts, they could figure this out. It's really fun to do, you know. It's kind of fun. Um, so uh, we will be in touch and uh, tell everybody at Cathedral I said hi, right? Gary and Rose and everybody else there, okay? I will. And, and uh, thank you, Tom, for being such a great inspiration all these years. Oh, my gosh. You're very kind. Thank you so much. And you you the same, okay, for inspiring all of us, okay? Thank you. And uh, stay on, and we'll chat in a minute, okay? All right, listeners, thank you. Next week, I hope to have maybe two French teachers on if I get lucky, okay, uh, from up in uh, the Chicago area, okay? All right, thanks. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Nos vemos hasta la próxima vez, eh? Okay.